Hello happiness seekers! I am work psychologist Claudia Mitura and I'm on this journey to really test drive and explore some of the best happiness hacks from leading experts around the globe and share what I've learned. In this specific episode, I'm tackling a really, really big topic of opportunities and happiness. Because as much as it is wonderful to believe that we are all achieving success for our own merit, regardless of our background, unfortunately, the reality is that there are social, political factors that make success easy for some and not so easy for others. I myself, as a Polish person living in UK for the last 14 years, needed to accept that the way I sound with my accent will impact the way people perceive me. So for this episode, I invited Margaret Ocheng, who is an organizational psychologist and the founding director of the Inclusive Village, which is a consultancy and a training provider that helps organizations to create more conscious, inclusive, workplaces. And this episode is packed with practical tools on how to navigate courageous conversations with gatekeepers of certain opportunities, how to remain happy and confident when certain opportunities might be closed for us, and how to keep our own unconscious bias in check when creating opportunities for others. So tune in, I hope you will enjoy this episode, and if you are after more happiness hacks, visit andhappiness.co.uk. Margaret, welcome to And Happiness. I am so excited to see you on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Today we're speaking about a very, very big topic, opportunities and happiness. Yes. That is really depending of what opportunities uh, we have in front of us, uh, our happiness may look very differently. So I guess my first question to you is how access to different opportunities is shaping our happiness, short-term and long-term? Opportunities, if we're talking particularly in, in terms of the workplace, we're thinking about people being given opportunities because they're seen as having potential. What are they capable of then? So then we can give them opportunities with regards to that. Now, most people will try to go for opportunities that signify that they do have potential. So I know I can do this, so I will apply for a job or ask for a secondment or seek that opportunity. Unfortunately, sometimes the people evaluating that potential have a different idea. I call them the gatekeepers of opportunities. And this is where the the happiness falls apart because I want to go for an opportunity, but the gatekeeper of that opportunity does not see me as having the potential. So the tension between what I see as my potential and what the gatekeeper thinks is my potential can lead to whether I get that opportunity or whether I do not get it. Now, sometimes that gatekeeper might decide that I cannot get that opportunity because I didn't go to a certain type of school or I do not speak a certain way. So they're doubting whether I really do have the potential or can cope with that kind of opportunity. I would know that those things don't matter. So I know this, they know something different. 
they can give me that in feedback or they can give me some really vague feedback. And that's the kind of thing that really makes people unhappy. I did a project a couple of years ago with a client who, it's a really good place to work quite generally. Their surveys show that their employees are quite happy, but it's a very male dominated environment. And the women who kind of survive in the really male dominated sections had a different experience despite their surveys showing that people are really happy in that workplace. Every woman I spoke to who was in like a, a majority male team was really unhappy. I remember speaking to one woman and she told me that the year before, the role above her had, be- had become vacant. And she asked for the opportunity to cover that role on the interim basis. And she was given that. And for six months, she covered that role, in her opinion, quite successfully. But eventually it was decided that they were going to recruit for the role. So she was told if she wanted to, she could apply, which she did. But then they didn't recruit her for the role that she had been doing for six months. Instead, they brought somebody else, a man. Now, that wasn't a problem to her because she was told she wasn't ready for this role. Except when this man took the role, she spent the next three, four months showing him how to do that role because he was from a different industry. And he didn't understand actually how that role was quite specific and how she developed that role over those six months. So those four months were really like the worst. She was very, very unhappy. And when I was speaking to her, she was crying throughout this interview because she just felt that something had been taken away from her in which she had invested so much. She was very unhappy. Luckily, we we did talk about how she could approach this subject with her boss and her line manager and how she could pursue other opportunities with clarity that if they did not see the potential in her, maybe she could look somewhere else. That's just an example of how opportunities can shape our happiness. Oh my goodness. And Margaret, such a real example, which is on one hand, thank you for showing such a practical example. On the other hand, how sad, how cringy, how frustrating. And I think really depending on our backgrounds and where you're coming from and what is your experience, I think we at some point, all experiencing this idea of battling against the gatekeepers of certain opportunities. And it it is so difficult to have that confidence and maintain that self-belief when people telling you that maybe you're not having that potential, because I guess they having certain prototype or certain cutout of who's supposed to be doing that role. Like in your specific example, so they have a certain ideal scenario there and that person was not fulfilling that ideal scenario. So when we are in such a situation, what can we do? Because ultimately, I guess we're trying to challenge the status quo. Ideally, we have, we feel we can do that. What are our options are to protect our happiness? Well, the options are as many as the situations that you find. I wouldn't prescribe do this or do that. I can give advice based on people I have worked with and my own experiences, because I've also had quite a few of these experiences where, you know, you've been doing a role and then someone tells you, oh, you need a PhD suddenly to do it and you haven't got one. Like They would pull anything out of the bag to make sure you don't get that role, which you feel like you are already doing and you're more than capable of. So in this case of this woman, she really wanted to stay in the organization. So that leaving was not her first instinct, whereas there are people who would be like, no, I'm just, I just want to leave. So Where someone loves the organization, loves their role and can see themselves in the future in that organization, I think I would say the best thing to do is seek 
a conversation with the gatekeeper. Now, that depends on how vicious this gatekeeper is. <laughs> Some gatekeepers just don't know. They're just not aware of what they're doing. So if you bring this, say, this is how this made me feel. These are the facts. They'll be like, oh, I didn't know you felt so, which is what happened in this case. The, the gatekeeper turned around also because we'd done some work in the organization, we'd done training. So the gatekeeper was more receptive to this woman going back to him and saying, this is what you did to me. This is how it's impacted me. I am very unhappy. And he was like, really sorry, didn't realize. My apologies, let's support you. And she has stayed and she's regained her happiness. So sometimes you can stay if you can manage to have a conversation with that gatekeeper. This is where things such as coaching or mentoring really helps, speaking to your mentor about your experience and then crafting, how am I going to have this conversation with this gatekeeper so that I can remain in the organization? One practical way. Or you could just decide where it's very clear that the gatekeeper is not going to understand you, then I guess you're left with no choice. Either you can remain there and kill time, you can look for fulfillment and happiness outside of work, you know, by doing hobbies or getting a side hustle, and you, you know, thinking about what else makes you happy if you're stuck in a role that is actually making you very unhappy. So that though you can enrich your life in other ways other than work, because it's not always practical or possible for people to change roles immediately. So think about how else can you be happy if you were to remain in that role for a certain amount of time, or then ultimately you could leave and look for another role. Brilliant. So we have, as you're saying, few choices almost, accepting that's the situation and I'm going to find the fulfillment somewhere else. Second option is I'm going to challenge the situation and I'm going to do it through a constructive conversation, which much harder, but hopefully giving us that fulfillment of a positive solution. And one thing that I always struggle with, not only, not maybe much in the workplace, but overall is that the moment I start speaking and the moment people hear my accent, I have the question, where are you from? And then I have the question, where are you really from? Yes. And that really... It really gets me <laughs> because as I always say, it's, I'm not always ready to be sharing where I'm from. Most of my introductions actually start with, I am from somewhere and I always say where that somewhere is and then we can all move on because I know if I do not address it, it will come up sometime and maybe it will upset me. So yeah, often when, when I speak, I, I will always find a way to say, I am from somewhere, so that's where I am from, so let's move on. But I guess my question is then, with the approach of preempting it, this is where I'm from, how then do you feel about kind of potentially some opportunities opening up or closing, depending on that information, right? Because we know that there is unconscious bias in everyone's heads. As much as people are lovely, our brain has shortcuts. And one of those shortcuts is unconscious bias. So ultimately, my worry about sharing where I'm from straight away is that if people have a good association with my background, uh, they will maybe receive me more with open arms and more kind of receive me positively. If they have a negative one with, with my background, then I feel like some opportunities are shutting down for me. So how do you navigate that if you're sharing that information straight away? Yes, yeah, so that, that's exactly my point. With the way I sound, 
Even if I don't tell people where I am from, they will know I am from somewhere. So if they're going to shout me out, they're going to shout me out anyway. And I've also reached a point in my life where, you know, if someone wants to shout me out of an opportunity because of how I sound, I have no, I'm not interested in having that opportunity because this is someone I do not want to be around or work with. So that's, that's just where I'm coming from with this. I'm happy with who I am and where I'm coming from. And if you do not like that, then save both of us the pain of working with each other. That's how I see it. So I say it. If that rubs you the wrong way, get me out the room. At least I never have to deal with you again. I know it's not always possible. Like if you are employed in an organization, this is easier for me. But I think even when I was employed, I think I just always said it. So so that if you wanted to get me out of there, you do it quicker rather than accept me on a project and then torture me for the next year that I'm working with you. I'd rather you just make up your mind straight away. I do not want to work with someone who sounds like this or who's from there and then shut the door now so I can find other opportunities that will nourish my soul. Nice. Okay, brilliant. So, <laughs> Margaret, even more courageous approach, I think. And yeah, brilliant. So, as you said, like uh, almost accepting that if 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 you have this unconscious bias and if you have those specific uh, maybe pre-, pre assumptions, then let's just not work together. Let's just not go there. Which I think, yeah, very courageous. As you said, not always possible. If you kind of maybe you need to. To be working with people with certain level of that unconscious bias, I guess. And my next question then to you is more thinking about how we can be creating fairer opportunities for other people. So if we are aware as individuals that we are the gatekeepers of those opportunities, how can we sense check that we are being fair? towards people and colleagues who are applying or being interested in those opportunities. So we are not making people unhappy. Increase your awareness of how you are doing these things and why you're doing these things. Find yourself in diverse environments and and think of knowledge and expertise and potential and talent in a different way. The more you see it from different ways, the more your brain will learn that it doesn't have to look as you have always seen it. So I see this a lot. And again, that's why I choose, although I have been offered accent training, for example, somebody said to me, oh, as a consultant, you make more money if you sounded British, posh British. And I was like, no, thanks. I am quite happy with the way I sound. I also know that the more we we purge ourselves of our accents or I can purge myself of my blackness. So where does it stop, right? I might as well decide now that this is who I am. You take it or leave it. So the more individuals are exposed to people like us doing amazing things in the world, I think the more it starts to challenge those patterns. So I'd, I'd challenge people to, to you know, Cross that border, expose yourself to different forms of, of knowledge and different people who possess the, that knowledge. Listen to things in a different way and de- decolonize your own mind in how you interpret talent. So that's the first thing you can do. But also, if, if you're within an organization, there is a systemic approach as well. Thinking about what systems and processes and values in your organization promote and reward people who cannot create opportunities for a diverse range of people that work with them. 
then remove all those systems and then remove all those processes and remove all those people and then we will be fine. So, so there's, yeah, and I, the, the individual, I know people kind of always talk about the individual, but I think the systemic is easier. If if the water source is, is poisoned, it doesn't matter how many patients who've been impacted you treat. You're constantly having to treat people who are poisoned by this water. So really the most prudent and effective and efficient thing for you to do really should be to treat the water. You'll have less patients, you'll save more time and more pain and you bring more happiness in that way this idea of going back to the source really and thinking about that systemic change the concept of meritocracy can you tell us a little bit about that and how that impacts our happiness the equality diversity space there's this widespread issue of with thinking that we most people will say oh that you know our country or our organization is a meritocracy we only promote people on merit now meritocracy is the belief that people are achieving upward social mobility or career success through their own merit, regardless of their sociopolitical factors that make success easy for some and not so easy for others. So in a capitalistic, neoliberal society, this cannot be true because once sociopolitical identity plays a big role on how they're perceived, as we have been talking about in the world, the opportunities that they're then offered or not offered as a result. That's what creates all these pay gaps, the gender pay gap, the ethnicity pay gap. So if we are really a meritocracy, we wouldn't have those gaps. People would access opportunities exactly in the same way, but we see the differences in representation and these gaps because we are not a meritocracy and we keep insisting that we are one. So to a large extent, we know that the gaps between males and females, for example, in educational settings has significantly closed. Women or girls are performing as good as or are performing boys But this is not translating into leadership or roles or success in the workplace. If that was a meritocracy, then people who are doing well in educational settings, because we also keep that this meritocracy is because they've done well in school, because they're clever, because they're intelligent. But we're not seeing those very people we call intelligent in school ascending to, you know, successful roles. So there's something else going on. We can't keep shouting meritocracy, meritocracy. It's a myth. It doesn't exist. There are social political factors that make success easy for some people and difficult for others. It's got something to do with the gatekeeper, but the gatekeeper keeps telling you that this is merit. This can reduce your your confidence and, and reduce your ability to function in the way that you should. And how can we question that? How can we, I guess, how can we question that gatekeeper? What are you calling merit? What is it that we call merit around here? Is my merit the same as your merit? Have you considered what other sociopolitical factors have opened for you doors that might close doors for people like me? Really, it's it's, it's a conversation. It's the hand, the invisible hand that is propelling you forward might also be the very one that is dragging me backwards. Can we have that conversation? It's thinking about how different identities can enable some people to be considered as more competent or more capable more readily and others have to constantly prove themselves 
very unsuccessfully. Yeah, but I guess it's easier, right, to just say, oh, it's of course fair and it's based on merit. Because then you don't have to be digging into your unconscious bias, the systematic processes that may close the opportunities, as you say, for some people, but open it for others. You don't have to look at that invisible hand. You don't have to change your way of thinking and working. It's so it's easier to say, of course, it's fair. It's based on the merit. Yes, it's lazy in short. That's what you just said. It's it's something that lazy people, I'm sorry, say to avoid doing the work that they need to. Margaret, final question. A little bit different, I guess. This is a show about happiness. And I'm just curious, what makes you happy? What makes me happy is to live in a way that is consistent with my values. That's what makes me happy. Nice. So that level of integrity. Yes. If I'm not going against my values, and you know, I'm very, very clear about my values. So living, whether, whether it's I'm at work or just out there in the world, in my family, everything I do, when it's aligned with my values, then I am happy. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Margaret, for coming to the show and talking to me about really tricky topic, opportunities and happiness. Thank you so much. It was lovely, lovely to speak to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Margaret, for such a great episode. As Margaret said, having those courageous conversations with the gatekeeper of opportunities might be the first step that we need to take towards the change that we are after. And one practical model that I found useful when having these courageous conversations is the open the front door model, which means observe, think, feel and desire. So if I'm in a situation that I need to give a feedback to someone around their behavior or maybe challenge their thinking, in practice this means that my response to them is composed of those four elements. Observe, think, feel and desire. So for instance, if someone is asking me where I'm from or where I'm really from and I'm finding it uncomfortable, I can say that I notice that you keep asking me where I'm from, so observe. I personally think it is a quite private question and one that I struggle to answer, so the think. I feel uneasy about that, feel. And I would really appreciate if we just skip this topic and come back to the main topic of our conversation, desire. How do you feel about that? And then I post the question to go back to my recipient. It is courageous to have those conversations, but at the end of the day, we need to be creating more opportunities for happiness. And this is one way that I found that is really useful and beneficial. I will see you at the next episode of Poetry and Happiness, where I'll be test driving the power of poetry on our mental health. See you next time.